Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. New King James Version says, you are the light of the world. Someone say the light. light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it give light to all. Someone say to all. To all who are in the house, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. My goal tonight is to challenge us to get our light from under the basket and let our light shine. A story that will inspire us and kind of lead the direction of this message is found in Judges chapter six, verses 11 through 12 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the turnabith tree, which is in Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon, someone say Gideon, Gideon. he threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it. So Gideon is working, but he's in hiding because the Midianites and the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. It's time, Gideon, for your light to shine. Look to your neighbor and say, let your light shine. Amen. You may be seated. Look to someone else and say, let your light shine. Matthew 5 declares that we are the light that should brighten the world. It should make a path. And no one covers up the lights in their homes. I know we have lamp covers and all that, but there's always a way for light to have access because light makes things visible to us so that we know where we are going. It's the worst feeling in the world. You didn't know you could speak that many languages when it's dark and you're walking throughout the house and you stub your little toe on a piece of furniture because there was no light. Light is so beneficial. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy Paul declared in Philippians 2 that we should shine in a crooked and perverse world and the way we as children of God shine is by living in such a loving way that it leads people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and develops them into fully devoted followers of him As Acts 1, 8 declares, we must activate the power within us so that we can shine the light of Jesus. Look to your neighbor and say, shine your light. In the Old Testament, the land of Israel was prime real estates at the crossroads of culture. They were divinely positioned in the middle of the then known world to live in such a way that other nations would want to follow Yahweh. However, they were consistently opposed and attacked. The book of Judges describes judges who were Israel's deliverers. They were champion warriors to fight against Israel's enemies. Judges chapter 6 through 8 gives a history of the judge Gideon. Judges chapter 6 talks about this. It says, so it was whenever Israel had sown, when they started to spread seed, the Midianites would come. Also the Amicalites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. There were so many of them, they couldn't even count them. And they would enter into the land 
the promised land, the land that God told the Israelites, it's yours to possess. I will be with you and you will possess it. They would enter into the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Midianites and the Amicalites would attack whenever Israel would spread seed. They destroyed the produce and prevented the Israelites from reaping a harvest. This important time where they know winter was coming or some kind of bad weather pattern was coming. The Israelites would uh, put in their fields. They would take out of their fields the harvest so they can survive. And yet these enemies would constantly come against them and take their harvest. They would take their territory. And Gideon came on the scene. He was later known as this incredible judge that even was referenced in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because of the difference he made in Israel's history. But just like Gideon, God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman. God is looking for a church to fight for his name. There are principalities and powers that are coming against the church. Brother John Franzen sent me an article from CNN how people would rather you send money than prayers. They, they don't even want prayers. Atheists in these uh, hurricanes and in the, in the situations that they're in, they're saying, I don't, I don't want your prayers. It's actually disrespectful to me. This world is changing and what the, church, what the world needs is a church to shine brightly. What the world needs is someone that says Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Come and, sh- come and find out how God changed my life. We are called to let our light shine. But Gideon wasn't always known as this great hero of the faith. Judges chapter 6 verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under that tree which was in Ophir which belonged to Joash the Abrazite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it. And then the angel appeared to him and said the Lord is with you you mighty man of valor. See God made this promise that he was going to help Gideon fight against Israel's enemies. But Gideon didn't have heaven's perspective. Gideon was hiding because he was scared of his enemies. He has this conversation with God. He said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. Someone say, I will be with you. Gideon was an unlikely hero. Gideon realized that the Israelites is a small nation. And he told God that he is from the Abrazite clan, which is the weakest clan in Manasseh. He continues by declaring that he is the least of his father's house, which is the least of their clan, which is the least of the children of Israel, which is the least nation in the world's eyes. So Gideon quite literally is the most insignificant man in the entire world. He is the least of the least of the least of the least of these. No one would suspect that this unlikely hero, Gideon, would be the one that changes the pages of history for the entire world because of what he did. However, God told Gideon, surely I will be with you. You are not alone. God is going to always go with you. God saw himself. God saw Gideon. As this mighty man, but Gideon saw himself as puny and tiny. Gideon started to trust God, so he built an altar in verse 24 as this, he's growing in this relationship with God and this trust. But while building this altar and making a commitment to be used by God, he remembers that he and his family has already had an altar. So why, as I was reading this story and studying it, why is he building an altar if his family already has an altar? Like, is his family's altar not good enough? 
But then as you continue to read through the pages of Scripture, they built one and they've been worshiping the false god Baal on it. They built the altar for Baal. And over the next few verses, Gideon destroys the altar that is made to worship the false god Baal. Gideon understood this important thing, this first thing I want to let us know tonight, that we cannot serve two masters. Gideon understood that salt water and fresh water don't mix. Gideon understood that there is no fellowship between light and darkness. So let me park here and preach for a moment. We, as a people of God, must be careful that we don't try to speak on behalf of God if we're not speaking with God. We must be careful that we're not intaking all kind of garbage and sin and trying to mix that with spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we become so desensitized by what we listen to, what we watch, where we go, the conversations we partake in, the gossip that we have. And then we try to come into the holy presence of God and sacrifice to him. And then on Monday and Tuesday, we sacrifice the bell. And then we come back here on a Wednesday night and we sacrifice to God. Then Thursday at work or Thursday at school or Thursday in our living rooms, we, we sacrifice the bell and we have all these false gods and sin because sin and God never mix. So Gideon understood this very important thing. If he's going to be used of God, it doesn't disqualify him because he's the most insignificant person in the entire world. You can be the least of the least of the least. You can be an unlikely hero. But what disqualifies all of us from being used of God is sin. So my first point is like Gideon, we must make sure to lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We must lay aside anything that prevents us from being used of God. How we live our lives affects our effectiveness in being used by God. So we must be like Gideon, destroy anything and everything to make sure that we are advancing his kingdom and in a right relationship with God. By commissioning Gideon, God accomplishes two things. He shows his concern for the extermination of false worship by calling an individual within a clan that had fostered the worship of the Canaanite gods. He calls an ex-idol worshiper to destroy idols. And I'm so thankful for that, that I'm not what I used to be. I might not be what I'm going to be yet, but I'm just thankful in how far God has brought me. And so what he often does is he uses people that used to be in that lifestyle to go back to the people in that lifestyle and bring them out of that lifestyle to lead people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Or in other words, to let your light shine. The second thing besides that he calls an ex-idol worshiper to destroy idols is he raises up an unlikely hero who will lead Israel against their enemies. However, in order for Gideon to be used, he had to destroy inappropriate worship and cleanse his own family. Someone say it starts with me. Once Gideon destroyed the altars, verse 34, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon because now he's clean. Now he can be empowered. Someone say empowered. And so he blew the trumpet and the Abrazites gathered behind him. Interestingly, you can keep that scripture up for a moment. Interestingly, when he blew the trumpet, he had a call to arms. Who gathered around him? It was the Abrazites. It was his own family members that made up the core of this army that would attack against Israel's foes. So what that call is for me and you is now we go back to our families. It's like the woman at the well. She had those six guys in her life. And Jesus says, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. It starts with one like Brother John's preached a few months ago. And she went back and changed her entire city. And so that's how God wants to do with us. He wants to save us so that in turn we can go and reach for others so he can save them. So you know your testimony, the before, what were you like? 
How were you changed and now what are you like? And we're supposed to use that tool called our testimony to overcome, to let our light shine into the world so that other people can experience Jesus. It simply takes a certain disciple like Brother Joel preached about a few months ago to help an ex-persecutor become the Apostle Paul. Who knows who's at your job? Who knows who's in your family? Who's in your neighborhood? Who's at your school? Who, what, where's the next Paul at? And all it takes is a certain disciple. It just takes a woman at the well that is an unlikely hero, that isn't really known, that isn't really big or popular. But all it takes is someone who's willing to let their light shine. Gideon blew the trumpets and rallied the troops. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to rally us together to take back territory and reap a harvest. It's time to let our light shine. Gideon was the most insignificant person in the world. I felt like that before on some of my most embarrassing days and I felt all alone. But Gideon literally told God, you say you want to use me and I'm this mighty man of valor. I am a nobody. How can you use me? But God said, no, I will be with you. My spirit will empower you. Go out and do my word. So Gideon destroyed all the other gods and assembled this army to fight against Israel's enemies. So who are their opponents? This is important to understand the scripture. They were against the Midianites and the Amalekites. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. In Numbers 24, 20, they were the Israelites' rivals for territory. They were the first to oppose Israel after they left Egypt and got past the Red Sea. The Amalekites were also Israel's first defeat. Israel was once again up against an old enemy. The Amalekites weren't the only ones in the valley. The Midianites joined forces with them against the Israelites. The Midianites come from the offspring of Abraham and Keturah, the wife he took after Sarah's death. Midian, which is the son, was sent away to the land of the east, where him and his descendants would eventually become pagan people. The Midianites' land wasn't adequate for feeding its vast population, so they resorted to tax-collecting expeditions. In other words, they stole the harvest from the Israelites. Their oppression is so great that Israel literally moves out of the promised land. All the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, all these miraculous signs that God did. And they are running from these two great armies. And they're literally hiding in caves and in country places. They're so scared. The Amicalites and the Midianites formed this massive army that were described as locusts who would come in and destroy the land. And Gideon got nervous about facing these two dangerous nations. So he fleeced God, which we often do. It's not necessarily right, but he fleeced God, which is recorded in the end of Judges chapter six. He tested God to see if he would really help him or not. And God proved himself to Gideon. In chapter seven, Gideon and the army was prepared for the battle that God said is coming. In verse two, the people who are with you are too many. They're too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God wanted everybody to know it's not going to be their strength, but it's going to be God's power that wins the day. God told Gideon to tell everyone who was scared to fight to go home. See y'all on Sunday because I don't feel like fighting. If there is an army that big that we can't count them, I'm going home. I don't know about you. I love my wife. She cooks really good. She made chili before our small group night, which is really bad because we played basketball and it just it didn't settle well with me. That's why we lost the first game, Brandon, just so you know. 
too much cornbread too. She makes incredible cornbread. So I just just went, went home. I like food. You know, I don't want to die. And so I would have been one of the ones that went home. So 22,000 out of 32,000 men went home. 10,000 remained. And God then told Gideon that there are still too many people. Gideon probably felt like a cease for Christ sacrificial offering Sunday. Do you want to run that number by me again, God? Because I, are you sure? You, there's too many men, but God does not make mistakes. He never has and he never will. What God calls us to, what God calls you to give, God will always reward. It might not necessarily come back financially, but it can come back in a physical protection where God keeps sickness and illness from your family. It can come back from angels surrounding your house and keeping you from hurt, harm, and danger when you're driving or when you're at work. Who knows how God does it, but in God's economy, you can never outgive God. And just another park and preach. Is Gideon fleece God? That's not advised anywhere in the Bible except in Malachi chapter 3, which God told, try me in your giving. Try me in your giving. So if you come to church and you're like, you know, why, why give? Why, why do this? Why do that? Why give to the mission of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world? Try God in your sacrificial giving, not just as she's for Christ, but in every aspect that we can possibly give because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Our heart follows our treasure, so we need to fleece God by giving more, not by testing him in any other area. So back to the story of Gideon. Verses 5 through 7, Gideon takes the remaining 10,000 men to this body of water like God commanded him to so that they could drink. God told him to separate them into two groups. One group is the people who get down on their hands and knees and put their face to the water and drink just straight from the water. The second group is people that get on their knees and they scoop up the water in their hands and they're staying vigilant and they're drinking out of the grasp of their hands. They're, they're scared, they're nervous, they're smart, all the emotions at the same time, but they're not bending down recklessly looking down. Instead, they're aware. So God said, separate those two groups. So the group is separated and he says, OK, the ones that got down and just put their face in the water, send them home. So I can imagine if this was me, if I was Gideon. Remember, you're the most insignificant person in the world. You're sitting there and you're like, all right, two groups separate. Y'all go home. Chill. Wait, 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 wait. Drink water a different way. I ought to stop them. Try to let's go back. Redo it. Are you serious, God? That's a lot of people. This is who I'm left with. They're as big as locusts is devouring the land. Why are they going home? They're brave because they're not paying attention. I want to go with them. But Gideon trusted God. Gideon remained with the other 300 fighters. Someone say 300. Now, this is a massive army. This is a nation that they're going against. And it's Gideon and 300. Now, I love Atlanta West. There's about 300 in the room right now. But I'm letting you know now, if we had to go to war with, like, Texas. <laughs> yeehaw, Ron Cowboy, Texas horns, let's go. If we had to go to war with the nation with you 300, maybe some of y'all, because we, we got some guns in the church. So I've been to some of y'all's houses. I might go to war with some of y'all. But some of the other ones, I don't know. But Gideon's a braver man. He trusts God and, you know, he flees God. So he's just going to trust in God. 
So now it's Gideon and these 300 men, the unlikely heroes. Can't you see the paper today? Unlikely heroes, 300 crazy people go run to war against nations. 300 against the locusts. Verse 8 of Judges chapter 7. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below in the valley. Now, if it's bad enough, it was 32,000. Now it's 10,000. Now it's 300. When the 300 goes to their tents for the night before the war starts, they're handing out all the supplies to be able to fight the war. If you read that passage, this is what they hand out. Grenades and rocket launchers and tanks and F-15 fighter jets. It's not what it says. It says they handed out trumpets. Vases. Oh, I got something to drink out of. Come on, boys. I ain't going to be dehydrated in this war. And torches. Better back up. I got fire. There were no weapons mentioned in this entire story. So you got to imagine with me, you're the most insignificant person. Your army is depleted to 300. And then God tells you, hand out the provisions and supplies. We're going to war. All right, trumpets, let's go. Brass section, who got the vases? They're not for flowers. Come on, ready, torches? What is going on? They are unlikely heroes. And it's important to realize that they have so much stuff in their hands that there's no way for them to even hold a weapon. And this once again proves it's not going to be their strength. It's going to be God's power. And just like God told Gideon that he was with Gideon, God told them that he was with them. The Midianites and the Amicalites are in the valley while Gideon and his 300 men are in their camp with a trumpet, a vase, and a torch. This is going to be an interesting battle. Judges chapter 7, verse 19. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies, so he split them up into 100 groups, three groups of 100. They blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, and held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. No weapon mentioned. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. 300 unlikely heroes. They were fighting for their promised territory. They were fighting for the harvest for their wives and children back home. They were fighting for their existence. They were fighting for their very future. And today the church fights for our promised harvest, the revival that God said in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. That is why there is a call to arms for us to let our light shine, because there is people in a dark and cruel world that needs someone that has experienced the grace of Jesus to where sin abounds. Grace does more abound. There's that single mother that's struggling to put food on the table for her kids that feels like there's no hope. She's been abused all her life, lied to, broken promises. She's at our jobs. She's in our neighborhoods. She's at our schools. There's a family that seems like everything's all together, but when there's home, it's like the WWE, the wrestling that Brother Norris wasn't talking about, where they're hitting each other with chairs and screaming and just madness. 
So there's people that are turning to drugs, just trying to go from high to high to escape the reality of where their life is. There's children in elementary school that are attempting suicide because they don't feel love from anybody. There's people that believe they have a right relationship with a God and they think everything's okay, but they're far from a true relationship with the one and only real God. This world is extremely dark. And in these last days, the army is coming up against the harvest. The enemy called Satan and his demonic kingdom, like Brother North talked about, there are two kingdoms. It is coming up against the church and it's taking families left and right. The world is going crazy. But what I've come to proclaim today, what I've come to rally the troops around today, if God be for us, who can be against us? Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I've come to let you know the darker the night, the brighter the light. And when we let our light shine, then people are going to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and be developed into fully devoted followers of him. That's why we go to Hope Ministry. That's why we do nursing home. That's why we do bread and ball. That's why we have small groups. We are meeting people on common ground to lead them to holy ground. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. So our promise, Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, has been prophesied to us, specifically and to the global church. It's our promise that we're going to have revival. We're going to reap a harvest. But the way God do, does it is through his hands and his feet. And so I'm calling the troops together. Let's rally around. Let's follow our leader. And let's go out to the dark world and let's shine our light. I read somewhere where Someone was talking about a flashlight where it's made on purpose with the purpose. If you go to my desk in our shared office back there, I have sticky notes all over and I, I build stuff at home like Legos with my nephew when he comes over. And, you know, I built a blanket ladder, whatever that is for my wife when she hangs blankets on it. I've never made a flashlight on accident. Maybe you, Brother Bob. I've never made a flashlight on accident. I've never been cutting wood and then all of a sudden like wires come together and then this comes out. It's like, oh, wow, that's cool. So it's made on purpose. You don't accidentally make a flashlight, right? And then not only is it made on purpose, it's made with a purpose. Someone say on purpose. Someone say with a purpose. So it's made on purpose and then there's, it's supposed to do something. And just like that, you are made on purpose. You are not a mistake and you are not an accident. Where you are in your job, where you are in your life right now is not by accident. It's divinely ordained by God for you to impact. That's why we are called to bloom. We are planted. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't try to do anything else. Wherever you are today, that's where you're supposed to let your light shine. When we go to the grocery store, let your light shine. When you're cutting your grass, let your light shine. When you see your neighbor checking the mail, you don't run in the house real quick because you don't want to talk to him. Let your light shine. It's us four and no more. No, 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 no. Let your light shine. Because you're made on purpose. 
And you're made with a purpose. So when the company made Duracell, when the company Duracell made this flashlight, it didn't come with a battery in it. Some come with it next to it, and I know there's different variations now with all the technology, but just go with me. It, I had to go and buy these batteries separately. They make this flashlight on purpose with a purpose, but it doesn't even work. I bought a broke flashlight. I'm the most insignificant person in the world. What is going on? Don't take me to fight an army with you if I'm buying broke flashlights from Duracell. It's supposed to be Duracell, dun, 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 the one that lasts or whatever their little jingle is. It's not even working. But if I get a power source. Oh, come on now, look out, bro. Mm-hmm. If I get a power source and I get filled with power. Come on, someone got to preach with me now. Huh? Acts 1, 8, but you shall receive power. If I get a power source and I'm filled with power, boom. Why y'all laughing? I thought we were church family. I know I said I don't want to go to war with y'all. Why y'all laughing at me? This is my last Sunday. I'm leaving. What's wrong? It's made on purpose with the purpose. It has power inside of it. You got to activate it. You got to access the power. To be a witness. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe, to the Jew first and to the Gentiles. So when I have the power inside and I realize that God made me on purpose and God made me with a purpose and I have the power inside and I access it, then something awesome happens. It's not that cool though, right? It's really not that cool. Why? Because it's so light. It's bright here. You don't even see it. It's not even a cool light show. I'll shine my light in church. Bless God. Oh, when the saints. But what about when it's dark? We can we can live for God in the church, but that's not where we're called to shine our light. Where we're called to shine our light is outside of these walls. Where we're called to shine our light is at our schools, at our jobs, in our families. That's where we're called to shine our light. So what happens when it gets dark? I want Sister Pam Nixon, shine your light. Sister Mary Donaldson, shine your light. Brother Floyd, shine your light. Jason Jones, shine your light. I'm going to wait for this one, though. Sister Scott, shine your light. Jason Allen, shine your light. Jeremy Castellanos, shine your light. Your wife, Shauna, shine your light. Alex Newman, shine your light. See, what started off very small and that insignificant, my one little light, you're blinding me, whoever that is. I'm going <laughs> to be on, bud. I can't even read my notes now. What am I talking about? I'm going to fall off the stage because I'm blind. It, with one light, it's not that bright when there's brightness around. Brother Brandon, you can come to the platform as you can find your way. There we go. Come on now. Light show. But when there's multiple lights, the darkness has to flee. Jesus was the light and the darkness cannot comprehend it. And so now that this flashlight that is made on power, on purpose, with a purpose, and it's full of power, when it's activated, now all of a sudden it can shine bright in the darkness. I want everyone to pull out your phones right now. 
Pull out your phones and get your flashlights out. Look how bright it's getting. It doesn't seem that bright when the lights are around you. But when you shine individually, all of a sudden, the church shines brighter collectively. And what we're called to do is as a church is not to cover our lights, but you are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hid. They don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men. What kind of revival would happen? What kind of revival would happen in my family? When I let my light shine, what would happen on your job if you let your light shine? See, with Gideon, why they would break the pitcher and let the torch shine and blow the trumpet, that would be designated for a leader who controlled a hundred people. So the significance of everybody doing it, the Midianites and the Amicalites literally thought there was like 300,000 people because darkness cannot exist where light is. But when there is light, it casts out darkness. So I'm rallying the troops. This is a call to arms. It's time to rally for revival. The battles is ours if we go and let our light shine. Would you stand with me? the end of this story of Gideon. They shine the light, the pictures are broken. They blow the trumpets and scream, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the opposite enemy, the Amicalites, the Midianites in the valley, they're panicked. They see the light, they don't know what to do. And so they start trampling over each other. They start stabbing each other. They don't know what's going on. And everybody's killing everybody. And ultimately, the Israelites won. Because Gideon, the most insignificant person in the entire world, and 300 men, the unlikely heroes, said, I'm going to let my light shine. You know what that sounds a lot like? Upon this rock, Peter, the revelation that there is one God and his name is Jesus. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what I've come to let us know very simply as when we let our light shine, revival will happen. The battle will be won. We will reap the harvest. I'm sick and tired of my family struggling and not living for God. I am sick and tired of seeing people that I'm reaching to in my barbershop and uh, in my neighborhood and different places. I'm sick and tired of not knowing where they're gonna go when eternity happens because they're not in a saving relationship with Jesus. So what I'm called to do is let my light shine. Would you close your eyes right now with me? I want you to think of somebody in your life right now, a relative, a friend, coworker, neighbor, that is in darkness. Someone that that's, has no hope, that feels worthless. They're struggling. I want you to think of their name right now.
God is coming back soon. The rain is going to come, and I want them to be in the boat. So in order for that to happen, I have to realize I'm made on purpose with the purpose that I have power inside of me, and it's time for us to activate that power. In a moment, I'm going to call us to the altar. And what we're going to do is we're going to be like Gideon in the 300. We're going to come with that picture that's hiding that light, that's covered up, that fear about, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm insignificant. I'm not talented. I'm not a good speaker. I don't know the Bible. Those fears, those insecurities, those flaws, whatever it is, maybe it's the altar of Baal that we need to destroy. We're going to come with that thing that's preventing the light from shining. And on a Wednesday night, we're going to come. We're going to make a commitment that our light is going to shine before men. Because there's people that are blind walking around, going the wrong way, trying to figure out what they're doing. And we have the light to show them the right way. So troops, it's time to lead people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and develop them into fully devoted followers of him. Would you join me at this altar right now just for the next few moments? Would you make that commitment? Like Brother Norris said on Sunday, would you volunteer? Would you enlist in the Lord's army today? That you know what, I'm, I'm excited for the amount of volunteers we have at the church and the 2.49 positions that all of us serve in. But I got to make sure that my light is shining. That's why we do September Saturdays. That's, that's why we do all these ministries. Everything we're doing is to try to get people to heaven. Anything else doesn't matter. But I got to let my light shine before men. So they can glorify my father, Jesus Christ. Would you let that be your prayer today? God, I'm going to let my light shine in the darkness of my job where fornication is rampant all around. I'm going to let my light shine and let people know there's a better way. In my neighborhood where people just come and go and we, you know, we really don't talk to each other. There's no friendship there. I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to break that base and I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to destroy altars to opposite gods, to false idols. God, so I can let my light shine. God, anything else is a waste of time. If I'm not advancing your kingdom, territory is being lost. The harvest is being taken day by day. But God, I've come to proclaim today from your word that the gates of hell won't prevail. We're not on the defense. We are on the offense. So we're reaching God left and right. We're reaching everywhere we go to grab people from eternity in torment to eternity with you, Jesus. So that's my prayer today. God, I'll be who you called me to be. I'll shine your light. Just like Gideon, I feel unlikely. I feel insignificant. I don't feel good enough. I feel underqualified. But it's really easy. God loves you. God loves you. God, I'm going to shine your light in this dark world.